Hello and welcome to Read It For The Pictures, the comic book podcast where we read it for the pictures. I'm Dave Clark, and with me is a man who, when I first met him at the back of a crowded bar, Art told me, the final boss is ahead, do you want to save your progress? Neil Caput. How you doing, Neil? If I recall correctly, you didn't, and you didn't save your progress like four hours before that either. I live on but... the edge. Yes. On that unpleasant note, I believe the Dave and Neil show is on hiatus for retooling after this. Yes. Um, unfortunately, this will be our last episode for the foreseeable future. Um, yeah, a combination of life getting in the way and, well, not getting any listeners has, yeah, we're going to... Close up the shop and think about maybe maybe coming back with a different podcast or a different project. A different approach. We'll still have something, but it's I guess this format was a nice experiment, but to just talk about comics from an art-only perspective and just try to keep it in that vacuum hasn't quite clicked. Yeah, when we um when we started this, we um. I think we were just chatting on Facebook who we were complaining about how in the world of comics everything seems so entirely focused on plot and writing and that most reviews you read would have a paragraph at the end saying, oh yeah, the art was nice too. But um, yeah, so we wanted to do this to sort of redress that balance. But I guess one of the downsides of doing a podcast about visuals is that yeah, you can't see the visuals if you're just listening. Maybe, and I guess ha- focusing on stuff that's available with the Comicsology Unlimited comic streaming-ish thing isn't the same. But Yeah, but to the few people who have been listening, we do appreciate you lending us your ears. And Which hopefully- is why the final episode will be on... A- comic that was requested by one of the few friends on the Facebook group. Yes, we're talking about Squirrel Girl, Volume 1. In lieu of the completely pointless but pretty Star Wars Interquel we reviewed last time, this time we're doing a substantial reimagining of an existing property. This is the first volume of The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, written by Ryan North, illustrated by Erica Henderson, with color art by Rico Renzi. Yeah, this is... Yeah, I'd heard some stuff about this, but I don't think I'd ever actually read, like, more than a page of it. It, um... And this is also the first Squirrel Girl thing I've read, like, at all. She was... You saw her first... You can get her first appearance in this book too it's at the back she like appeared in an iron man backup strip as just an obvious joke character and the joke was on the one hand that she's a girl with incredibly lame power she talks to squirrels she has a giant bushy tail and that's about it but also that she was able to defeat dr doom one of the premier marvel supervillains so that's kind of her shtick, that she's able to overcome pretty much any villain, no matter how powerful, through circumstances that are partly 
ingenious, outside-the-box thinking, but also just preposterous comedy circumstances. Yeah, it's um, it would be kind of hard to explain like the concept of Squirrel Girl to someone like who was from a culture that didn't like have like sorry. It would be difficult to explain the concept of Squirrel Girl to someone who was unfamiliar with Marvel or DC comics because like the premise of most um superhero comics is that they have some fantastical power and that they fight bad guys and they basically always win and like that's that's also squirrel girl's deal but she isn't popular so it's weird when she beats up a a big super super villain well what cultures with modernized media don't know about superhero universes at this point there are still some like untouched tribes in like africa aren't there i don't know Last time I was in the middle of Ghana, I saw someone with a loincloth made out of a shirt with the vision and the Scarlet Witch on it, so... Yes. But um, I suppose that is the advantage of having a long-running shared universe, is that you can play with the expectations that have been built up in your audience's head. True. And this does rely quite a bit on having other Marvel characters characters in there like all the bad guys she fights are established villains from varying degrees it's partially a comedy in kind of an action slapstick way and it's partly kind of a slice of life sitcom with Doreen squirrel girl's real name going to college for the first time and trying to adjust to that yeah it does have a bit of slice of life stuff but it's like Never, like, dramatic slice-of-life stuff. It's funny all the way through. I mean, like, there's a bit of puppy love with a cute guy, and there's a little bit of there's a little bit of roommate drama, but nothing earth-shattering. Yeah, I can't imagine we'll be facing any, like, dramatic arcs where she has to decide whether she should break up with a boyfriend or, or anything like that. Fun fact... Before this, one of Squirrel Girl's last appearances was in Brian Michael Bendis' New Avengers, where she was the nanny for Luke Cage's child and was also implied to have slept with Wolverine at some point when she was underage. Oh, dear. Like, was that, like, an unfortunate... Like, was that a deliberate thing, or did they accidentally get some numbers wrong with the ages and... What's going on there? I think they got the num. They might have messed up the numbers with the ages at the time, but well, it was a dumb joke, kind of a crass one, and it, that kind of perspective isn't seen at all here. Yeah, if that's one end of the Marvel joke spectrum, this is very firmly at the other end. Oh yeah, there was also the scene where she was coming on to Daredevil in New Avengers, who of course just shut her down immediately. God damn it. Seemed to be be really sad for Squirrel Girl in that situation. Well, this is why we're glad for this. So, to move from just talk going on about how depressing and awful modern comics superheroes are why this works even if 
you don't particularly like the genre. I don't know. This isn't my first choice for a comic, but I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, it, um, yeah. You've ragged on me at the past for describing stuff as a as web comicsy, which I guess fairly like a web comic can be in any art style. But I guess like this is it sort of struck me as similar to like a newspaper strip. It's certainly dense in terms of page content. Like there's a lot of panels on each page and each page seems to convey like a clear idea, like a sequence with a beginning, middle and end. Even if it's just something like Squirrel Girl fantasizing about different ways she'll defeat Craven, the hunter, which include putting squirrels in his pants, putting squirrels on his head somehow just tossing him into the air in the future where everything's automatically awesome. Yeah, there's there's a higher like there's more panels on each page than normal. I um I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but once in a weird fit of insanity I made a graph of how many of I got like a bunch of comics that I really liked and I wrote out how many panels were on each page and calculated an average and a like a graph for how they were distributed and it seems that most marvel and dc comics have an average of 4.5 panels on each page where this is be closer to like five or six i'm surprised they have even that but then here it's not just that they have a lot of panels it's that there's a lot of variance in panel size i mean like the borders between panels are clearly defined. There's not a lot of bleed over, but you will see vertical layouts amidst the tiers as well as horizontal. And you'll see like panels that are aside from other panels. So as well as like small panels that aren't just close-ups. Like there's a sequence of Squirrel Girl traversing New York by jumping quite squirrel-like from car to car, from telephone pole to telephone pole. And you can see, like, a lot of street details, surprising amount, given the otherwise general simplicity of the art. Yeah, I found just found the page you were mentioning. One of the downsides to doing these big volumes is having to flick through the whole thing. But yeah, that panel stands out as having a lot of detail, because, like, a fair few of the other panels just have flat, solid-colour backgrounds. Yeah, it's... It seems each page tries to communicate a gag, and that's a bit like it puts exactly as much as it needs to do that, and then stops. Which I don't know. I think is like it works when each page is trying to deliver a gag, but um, yeah, I guess. Well, yeah, that's the. Oh, I also just noticed like there is a text joke on the bottom of each page and tiny gold font yeah i um i read most of this like i read the first few issues of this on my phone and that was too like too difficult for me to get to using just a phone screen but yes there seems to be a little bit of a commentary at the bottom of each page which is a holdover from ryan North's other work right i mainly know the name from daily dinosaur comics where he was literally like recaptioning the same dinosaur clip art every 
page. Yeah, but if you moused over each of the dinosaur comic, there the alt text for the image was a joke. Right, alt text. I have. That's. I guess that's the equivalent because it's not something you'd find unless you were almost looking for it. Well, it's not too far. Um, in your web comics, you put comments at the bottom of each of your pages, right? There is some alt text and commentary. Yes, that's in that case. Like because it's one page at a time, there is often like a need to kind of give it a greater context. To, and to like open up an opportunity for each page to become a discussion. This comic, that's when it's in print, it's not really possible unless you're reading it in a group or have a pathologically complicated inner life. Yeah, I guess but, it's just something if, like, for years you write a little witty joke that goes on the end of each of your comics, you just sort of keep doing that when you move to something that's released all at once. True, and it's it works quite. They don't always work. The little jokes on the bottom of the page, but you can just ignore them if you don't like that kind of add-on joke. But yes, returning to the art, I like how she draws squirrels. That's important. Like you couldn't get someone to draw squirrel girls if they can't draw the squirrels. Yeah, they they're pudgy little things. They're basically just rats with bushy tails. Let's not mince words. Oh, they're cuter than that in this. I, well, rats are cute, but they don't get nearly as good a re- reputation as squirrels because of the bear tail and spreading that plague. That kind of isn't something you live down. Oh. Plenty of squirrels are full of toxic diseases that, if they got in the public, would cause an epidemic. Are you strongly pro-rat, or are you strongly anti-squirrel? I'm pro-rat. Well, there you go, folks. Yeah, the squirrels are well done, especially since the squirrels in this world are apparently sapient. Like, they, when Doreen talks to them, they talk back, especially her sidekick, Tippy-Toe, who is identified because she has a little bow on her collar. Her power is that she can talk to squirrels, right? Not that she can control them with her mind. Is that right? No. Oh, man. Yeah, she can communicate with them, and they seem pretty amenable. Okay. Otherwise, yeah. If she's mind-controlling tippy-toe, that puts a whole different spin on this. Well, that raises some disturbing questions about Aquaman and Ant-Man and other Characters who control a hive mind of supposedly lesser beings. Well, Aquaman's already a king. Doesn't seem like it'd be that crazy for him to mind control sea creatures. I'm not sure what where I was going with this. I guess we're looking too hard at the kind of logic behind talking to animals this way. Yes. But, oh, and but yeah, she can talk to squirrels, and they can converge and cooperate in extremely inventive ways like when she gets all the squirrels to kind of form an exoskeleton around her yeah that's kind of the first sign that this isn't a a, quote serious comic is well there's also the time where she 
breaks into Tony Stark's lab and using, I guess, like some kind of password he gave her the first time they met, she's able to hijack some of the armor and build herself like a iron squirrel suit. Yeah. Which is very good armor design, actually. And it shows a lot of knowledge of Iron Man armor history because it's specifically from the 1990s modular Iron Man, an Iron Man that was designed as a set of components rather than a single unified suit that could be swapped in and out as needed. And apparently Tony predicted that Squirrel Girl would need his services, so he designed a piece of armor for her tail. You can imagine a a weird conversation with Hawkeye wandering into his lab and it's like, don't suppose you've got a suit of armor for me? And it's like, oh, um, no, you're you're a little bit too short for the armor. Sorry. But he's got one ready to go for Squirrel Girl. Well, Tony's been paying Hawkeye's rent for decades now, as well as like making sure he never runs out of arrows. Hawkeye should be more grateful. Oh, dear. Yeah, like an interestingly segmented set of plates on that squirrel tail. Yeah, it is a... Like, the art is simplified, which, like, I think effectively communicates, like, like body language and gets the gag across without becoming too laboured. But uh, when it comes time to draw the Iron Man armour, I think it does an alright job of writing the line between having to be, like, a complicated piece of technology and also being within that simplified art style. Well, it's closer to the kind of classic Iron Man you hate than the movie versions. Well, the really classic Iron Man suit I like, that big, bulky gold one. It was grey first. Oh. And it's actually here in that sequence is one of the automated suits guarding the Iron Man vault. Yeah. But it's a weird one, this comics. And I also partially picked this because the person who suggested it said that a lot of people dislike this style of art. A lot of Marvel fans who, like, I believe the comment I've said is like, their cultural education starts with Jack Kirby and ends with Jim Lee. That that's completely unfair. They don't they don't know about Kirby. Ah, I see what you did there. A simplified cartoonier art style that doesn't fit into that kind of super dynamized pseudo realism that superhero comics of the past like ten to twenty years are known for. Yeah, this wouldn't appeal to them. There are also like... the fact that so, Squirrel Girl is derided by some of the fans on the Makes Comics Great Again side because she's a female protagonist who isn't sexualized at all. I have seen some of the scummier parts of the internet pull out a few like facial expressions from this comic and, well, yeah, talk about how this is the sort of thing that's ruining comics and, yeah... Well, like I see face... this sold in through Scholastic catalogs at elementary schools and middle schools. It's got a much larger outreach than 
most Marvel books can even dream of achieving. Yeah, well, it does something different to, like, I think most of the stuff we've reviewed on this show, is that it really likes to exaggerate the faces. True. And a few times that... I got... A few times you'll there'll be a, an expression that looks a bit wonky on its own, but I th- but I think for the most part it even those wonky expressions do their job of communicating the action like the t- well the mood or the action of the scene, which I yeah. suppose that's the advantage of doing sequential art is that the individual panels don't need to stand alone; they get to exist in context as the. But the internet is about removing context from things. Well, uh, to some degree, yeah. Since the original Squirrel Girl appearance is in this too, by Steve Ditko, also so known as the creator of Spider-Man Doctor Strange, it's you can see that the design for Squirrel Girl in this is not that radically different. It's... You don't think? She has, like, the mascara around her eyes, and it's more of a jumpsuit as opposed to, like, a set of actual clothes. But there's still, like, for a bulky furry jacket, there's still the short hair and the very pronounced buck teeth. There's the utility belt full of nuts. If anything, the way... Her face was in the old comics looks even less human because in as the way Erica Henderson draws her, she has very pronounced buck teeth, but otherwise she looks normal in context with everyone else, at least facially. Yeah, it's interesting going from the Star Wars comic we did in the last episode, where you have a panel and it's like, look, that's young Mark Hamill. That's like you can almost picture the photo that like it's referencing to go from the Erica Henderson pages of this where it's like a very simplified face but there is like a there's enough sense of character that it always feels like the right like this the same person even with all yeah. the exaggeration and then you cut to the Ditko stuff and that seems simplified like even more almost but it's almost like a limitation of the, like maybe a limitation of like printing at the time. Well, Ditko had a fairly simplified style that got simpler later on, and as you can see from the way he draws Iron Man, is it's not even like liquid men- metal. A lot of in a lot of scenes, it looks more like a bunch of colored cylinders for limbs with kind of a shiny effect on the outside. Yeah. I suppose, like, well, presumably Erica's working with, like, some sort of digital process, and that means she's able to just go through stuff that much quicker. And, like, I don't know, this is... Well, I imagine Ditko and Erica would have... Well, Ditko and Henderson, rather, would have had similar demands as far as deadlines. True. But, but yeah, like, I don't know. If you think... Yeah, if you're one of those people who think that the art in Squirrel Girl has is like too simplified and sim like too simplified and dumbed down, then I mean, bare minimum, it's on par with this Ditko stuff. True. If anything, Squirrel Girl comes across as like more serious in the current comic. In the original, like the joke is that she's such a 
wacky and preposterous character who manages to defeat Dr. Doom, much to Iron Man, the straight man's surprise, like the whole thing is from Iron Man's perspective, and how at first he's like completely disbelieving that Squirrel Girl can be of any help to him, then later he's just dumbfounded by what he saw, but and he's not sure I'll explain it to the other Avengers. In her own comic, Squirrel Girl, she's still in a completely wacky universe where she can do all this stuff, but she's treated as, like, a competent protagonist. She, her, We get to her thoughts on situations, and she's not completely irrational, albeit a bit out there in some of her thinking, but that's what helps her survive. Yeah, and I suppose we should mention the trading cards. Oh, yeah. What helps her is that she has a set of trading cards, each drawn by a different artist than Erica Henderson, describing the various villains she goes up against. Yeah, it's something that doesn't make... Well, doesn't really make any sense in-universe, but, like, as a way to communicate information, it's probably one of... I'm sure it's all pretty well documented in-universe, since... Secret identities are a thing of the past, and all these superhero battles are a matter of public record. Like, I knew during the Iraq War, they used the metaphor of, like, a deck of cards to describe, like, the bad people they were going after, but they didn't, like, mass-produce them, and they weren't, like, read by, like, college students at the time. I don't know. I was lucky enough to score foil cards of Uday and Kusei, both, when I was in college. My Husei rookie card. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I wasn't able to complete the full Axis of Evil block of cards, though. Oh, well. Maybe with the next war. True. But it's, it's a clever visual device. It's also... The fact that it's illustrated by different artists kind of plays to the book's favor because it further kind of reinforces just how out there this is. I don't think it'd have the same effect if Henderson was drawing the same Craven the Hunter on her card. Oh, it's part of apparently Deadpool's Guide to Supervillains. Apparently Deadpool who's already got a loose relationship with the fourth wall, wrote and distributed all these. Yeah, I didn't actually, when I was reading it, didn't catch that they were, each of the cards are done by a different artist at first. And like, Yeah, it, like, there's Maris Wicks for issue one, Kyle Starks for issue three, and Chris Garuso for issue four. Like, it's neat once you notice it, but none of, none of them are by Diodato or anything like that. No, who coincidentally was the artist on New Avengers when Squirrel Girl was working as Luke Cage and Jessica Jones' nanny. And, of course, drawing Squirrel Girl in the same sexualized, broke-back style as every other woman. Do you think that this Squirrel Girl's deck has a card which is Luke Cage's baby drawn by Diodato? That'd be clever, but... I'm sh- and it'd probably be accurate because given the blurring of past and future, present and future timelines, she would need 
probably go up against the baby as an adult someday. Yeah, she'll still be in college, but she'll be fighting the adult version of a baby she used to babysit. Well, well, Squirrel Girl's in U.S. Avengers, too, and, by Al Ewing, and she did meet an adult, Danielle Cage, who called her the best nanny she ever had, so... Was that like a time displaced thing, or...? Yeah. Okay. The adult Danielle Cage is Captain America in her timeline. Okay, I... Yeah, I can't think too much If we do another that. podcast, we're going to need to kind of structure out these things ahead of time so each weird bit of Marvel history doesn't throw us from the main discussion. Yeah, we something a little bit more focused than Neil throwing Marvel trivia at me and me trying to bring up the Iraq War. Well, that's... Is that part of our charm, that we have such bizarre stylistic quirks to our podcasting and you'll have to ask our three listeners okay so let's try to go for a two out of three majority on that then we'll decide yeah the ne- in the next project it'll be dc trivia facts and referencing the korean war oh yeah and we'll also have a jar for fire emblem video game references man you're gonna be able to sneak those by me i don't know anything about fire emblem Yes, clearly my support rank with you isn't as strong as it should be. I Okay, maybe something... maybe like Dark Souls or something. Hell yeah. But yes. Okay. Um Yeah, that was Squirrel Girl. I'm not sure like yeah, the art is simplified, but it's never too simplified that it doesn't effectively communicate the gag. It has It's funny. It's clever. It has distorted faces, but like it's always in service of communicating mood and action. I like it is strong cartooning throughout. It's a funny comic, and if that's it, like that's what it's trying to be, and it does it well. And there probably should be more, more funny comics, as opposed to ironically funny but secretly horrifying comics. Like I'm sure a lot of Squirrel Girls critics would be all over that alt-hero thing on Kickstarter. Well, yeah, I'm, well, I don't think anyone's really that excited about that. They just want to own the libs. Of course. Alt-hero, the perfect thing to read while you're wearing a diaper around in public. You assume these people go out in public. But yes, a weird topical reference that will make no sense to people listening to this in the future. Perfect note just to get to go out on. Okay. Well you can still follow us and we'll still be planning something new. Yes, we will continue to exist. And collaborate. Even if it's just me keeping you abreast of the latest developments in the exceptionally bad Batman comics going on right now. But yeah, where where can people find your other stuff online, Neil? I'm at wirecats.com, W-Y-R-E-C-A-T-S. It's very webcomic. And you can find my stuff at daveclarkart.com. And until next time, whenever that is, see ya. Bye.